John chapter 1, and once you find it, go ahead and stand um, out of respect for God's word. And uh, we'll, be, we'll begin reading in verse 14 and read down through verse 18 this morning. Um, the first 18 verses of John, we've, we've looked at uh, the first, four, well, kind of overview of many of these already. But I'd like to make, take a specific look at 14 and then some verses following as well. Uh, this is what many people would say is the prologue of the book of John. Um, in, in a prologue is an introduction that kind of sets the table so you know what the rest of the book is going to be like. And if you'll notice in the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially Matthew and Luke, they begin with the physical birth of Jesus Christ. They begin with the genealogies. They talk about how Jesus came from these folks and on this side, these folks on this side, and come together, and that's how Jesus Christ was born. We know uh, supernaturally God had more involved in it than just that. It wasn't by chance, but those books really are more about the physical things that Jesus Christ did. Well, John, by giving us a prologue that begins in eternity, is allowing us to see that his focus will not just be on, on the life of Christ, but on the deity of Jesus Christ. So he begins not with a genealogy, he begins in eternity. In the beginning was the word. I mean, he talks about how Jesus Christ has always existed since in eternity. And before we even time was, be, was created, before the earth was here, before the universe, Jesus Christ has existed. And, and his goal, his stated purpose in the book of John chapter 20, it says that we might believe, we'll see the signs, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing we might have life, eternal life through Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can have eternal life if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. And there is no reason for you to leave this building without placing your faith in Jesus Christ today. So he sets the stage so that we'll reach a verdict. Begin reading in verse 14. It says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that com cometh after me is preferred before me, he, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. There are two things at work in the first 18 verses of John. And that is, you've got the eternal and the physical. The eternal realm and the physical realm. And one is superior and more important than the other. Which would you think it is? The eternal is superior to the physical. But here's the problem. Many of us live our lives prioritizing the physical. And we miss out on that which matters the most. I'd like to consider this morning the thought, the superiority of eternal things. The superiority of eternal things. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. I pray that you bless the reading of the word. Help me to convey it clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you could go back to a certain period of time with the knowledge that you have now? 
I don't know about you, maybe I use my imagination too much, but I think about those things. Uh, maybe you might go back and fix a mistake that you made. You might go back and take, a, take this job instead of that job. You might go back and buy a different home. You might go back and say something you wish you had said. Maybe it's a good thing we can't go back. So, because there are some things better left unsaid. Uh, I can tell you for myself, I would go back and have lower expectations of the Dallas Cowboys every year. But I digress. Yes. You know, I sometimes think about going back and investing in certain things when, that are big now. I, I would probably go back to the 80s and invest in Apple. I might go back to the 90s and invest in Amazon. I don't know if you remember, when Amazon first started, it was just books. That's all it was. And now look what it's turned into. I, you might go back and invest in, in something like social media, um, one of these platforms that's really big. I, let's just say that you could go back to 2006 and do just that. You have two options. You can invest in something that's well-known that everyone is using called MySpace. Or, and the, the younger kids in here are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Or you could invest in something, this little-known startup, started by a college kid in his dorm room called Facebook. So at that time, MySpace was the thing in social media. MySpace was basically a page on the internet about yourself, and that's all it was. And, and it, it was a known commodity. It had hundreds of millions of, of users. How many of you in here, just admit it, how many of you in here had a MySpace page? Okay. All right, a few of you did. Um, Facebook, though, at that time was unknown. Facebook, um, it, I mean, it, it obviously was a good idea, but people were wondering, uh, will it ever be as big as MySpace? I'm not sure. I mean, My, MySpace has millions of users, and, and so knowing what you know now, you'd probably, or no, so knowing what you know back then, if that's all the information you had, you probably would invest in MySpace. It's the known commodity. It's what everybody's using. But coming from the future and going back to, say, 2006, I think all of us would invest in Facebook. I'm not saying Facebook um, is, is everything that it needs to be. I'm not saying that it's a perfect thing. I'm just comparing it with something that failed. MySpace eventually was sold for 3% of its peak value. It lost almost all of its value. It was made largely obsolete by Facebook, which, by the way, since Facebook went public, it's gained over 500% in value. So hindsight makes that an easy decision, doesn't it? So, so now imagine going back and telling everyone to go all in on Facebook. You're from the future, um, and they all say you're crazy, and they ignore you, and they sink all their money into MySpace. Now, we would say that's a foolish decision because they had important information. They chose to ignore it. But that's essentially what happens with John's message in John chapter 1. He's speaking to people living in the physical realm. They live in a MySpace society. That's all they see. It's what, it's what everybody is doing. And he's trying to convince them that the eternal realm matters more than the physical realm. But most people ignored his message. John the Baptist came saying, hey, look at the light. This is Jesus Christ. He's from eternity. He's the son of God. He brings eternal life. And his own received him not. They rejected him. Uh, John's message was saying, look at the eternal things. Prioritize the eternal things. And most people missed it because they embraced the physical. 
The physical realm involves things we can see, that which we can touch and feel and hold, things like our money and things like the home we live in and our cars and anything that you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands, that's what I'm talking about, the physical things. And it can include things like a job, it could include maybe your career, uh, things like sports, things like your pleasure, the entertainment that we get involved in. It's what's right in front of us every day. And the reason it's hard to see the eternal is because the physical looms so large. It's what we see. It's, it's easy to walk by sight. It's hard to walk by faith. We know that to be true. The eternal realm is that which is unseen. It's the unknown. And, and yet, John makes it clear that prioritizing the eternal over the physical is the only way to live your life and have it mean anything. So when it comes to life... Most people have a MySpace mentality. And that the known commodity, even though there's something better out there, all they see is what's in front of them. That's what they prioritize. It's what they focus on. But I want to consider, though, this case that John makes for the eternal. And I want to see how the, the physical and the eternal actually kind of work together. Look at verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh. Now, word there, if you notice, word is capitalized. It's, a, it's a referring to Jesus Christ. It's referring to a person. It is a proper name, but it's not just a proper name. It's an expression of, of God's purpose, meaning that just like words reveal the heart, just like words reveal what's on your mind, Jesus Christ expressed the heart of God. When he came, he was letting us see the kind of God that God is. Because God doesn't have a body and God's glory is so high and so he's so holy that he even, and I'll talk about this later in a minute, but he even told Moses, you can't behold my, whole, my full glory or you will die. You can't do it. So the eternal God came in a body. The eternal came into the physical. Was made, it says verse 14, the word was made. That means that Christ became flesh. And it doesn't mean that he began to exist at this moment. No, the phrase was made. If you know anything about the Greek language, it's in the aorist tense, which means that it, it uh, points to um, an action that took place in a point in time. Aorist means there was something you can go back to and say this was the beginning of something. And what it's saying is that there was a point in time that God in the flesh came down as Jesus Christ in a human body at a point in time, a certain point in history. And by the way, I don't want to make anybody mad today, but it likely was not December 25th, but I don't want this message to become controversial. Okay, so let's move on. No, Aorus tense refers, by the way, they think it's probably in the fall, maybe sometime in September. I like to think September 30th because that's my birthday. Okay, so Aorus tense refers to a point in time. You know, that's different than the phrase in verse 1. Look what it says, in the beginning was the word. That's a different tense. That is an imperfect tense, which means a continuing action in the past. It's not specific to a point in time. So understand, Christ's existence in eternity, according to verse 1, it has no beginning. There's not a point in time, it just is. And like Jesus Christ says over and over in this book of, of, from the writer John, I am that I am, I simply exist. There's not a point in time that my existence began, but my existence in the flesh, there was a point in time. 
So I can't, so basically, Jesus Christ existed out here in eternity, and we live in the bubble of time, and he stepped from eternity into this little bubble of time, the bubble of the physical in which we live. So the word was made flesh, it says this now, and dwelt among us. And that, what John is saying, John the beloved, the apostle, is saying he was close enough that we could touch him, we could observe him. In other words, his body was visible. His body was observable, and John, this writer, spent three and a half years right next to Jesus Christ. He had a literal body. This isn't just John talking about something he'd heard about. No, John says in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. John the Apostle had a testimony, a personal experience with Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is not just a story. This, they sat next to Jesus. John sat next to him. In the end of the book, he laid his head on Jesus Christ. Um, they heard him breathe. They, they saw him sleeping. They saw him eating. He had a real body. But at the same time, so John says, now the word was made flesh. There's a point in time that he came into a body. He had a literal body. He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. This could refer to John seeing Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, which was a glimpse that only he, Peter, Peter James, and John got. Um, where they saw Jesus Christ in his glory more than likely anybody else has on earth. But I also believe it could refer to the miracles that Christ did while on earth. That, that John watched Jesus, and every time Jesus healed somebody, the, the apostles got a little glimpse of the glory of God. Little bursts of the glory of God. It came out at times. It, it's not the full glory of God, because that's too much for us to handle. But every time that Jesus performed a miracle, that they got a glimpse of his glory. Every time they heard him teach a doctrinal truth, that nobody had heard before. It was a glimpse of his glory. Every time they saw him interact with people, it was a glimpse of his glory. And very, very surely, when they saw him alive after dying, it was a glimpse of God's glory. After they watched him ascend back into the heavens, it was a glimpse of God's glory. John says, we beheld his glory. He came at the point in time, he had a literal body, but through that little bo literal body, we beheld his glory. And it was full of grace and truth, it says. Of all that John could have pointed out that Christ was, he talked about grace and truth. Jesus Christ was a perfect balance between love and law. That law is unbending. There's no way around law. It's black and white. And we're all sinners. And if we have all we have, listen, if all we have is the law, there's no mercy when it comes to sin. If all we have is the law, we have no hope to have our sins forgiven because the law says no. And we have broken it. We've sinned. We're guilty. That's the end of the story if all that we have is the law. And the same could be true between us and God in that he's holy. We're not. We can't please him because of our sin. And he could hold us to the standard of the law. But John says, no, Jesus came and he came giving us truth and grace. Which means that he extends loving grace to sinners even though they've broken the law. Look at verse 16 and 17. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
See, grace for grace literally means grace instead of grace. And you say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it's a play on words. And the idea is grace for grace. It means that, okay, let's say that grace, this one element of grace disappears and it, and it, and it re recedes and there's no more of that. Well, it's just going to be replaced with more grace. And, and, if, and if grace was ever to disappear, there's so much grace just pouring out that it would immediately be replaced by more grace. And I watched a video recently, just on, my kids were watching, they like to watch puppy videos. I don't really understand that. I like fails and things like that. But my, they're watching these puppies and this guy, he's trying to close a gate. It's full, there's like eight or ten little puppies and they're trying to get out of the gate. So he, he's trying to close the gate, and a puppy gets out, and he takes the puppy in and tries to run out and close the gate. And before he gets out, another puppy runs out. So he's just, it's like herding cats. You know, he just can't do it. You know, that honestly, I know that's silly. That's like, that's what grace, that's the illustration. And that you couldn't, you couldn't keep up with how much grace God has. Grace for grace. If grace disappears, guess what it appears in its place? More grace. It's like, you know, it's overflowing and it just keeps coming and it keeps coming. And you can try to push against it, but, it, but as soon as you do, it comes out another spot. And you close that when it comes out another spot. It's like parenting, right? You know, you can't keep up. But that's grace for grace. And the idea here is that Jesus is the perfect balance between right and wrong and forgiveness. He's the perfect balance between law and love. And by the way, God didn't do away with the, the demand for truth. No, he offered himself to pay for our sins. He didn't just say, okay, yeah, I know that you've broken my law. I know this is true, but I won't make you pay for it. We'll just forget it. No, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He was the payment for our sins. He's the perfect balance between love and law. And by the way, the world needs to see a balance between love and law. Both extremes are wrong. Law is harsh. Law is unforgiving. And we can be that way, can't we? You know, we, we must be careful as conservatives, as Christians, as Bible believers. We must be careful that when someone does something that we don't agree with or we don't like, that we don't only extend law to them. That we don't only tell them the truth and we can be this way and that law is so hard and it's unforgiving and it's not understanding of what somebody's going through. And there may be people around us even right now that are going through things that we don't understand and we can be harsh and we can be mean about it. But don't forget that our Savior Jesus Christ, yes he was full of law but he was also full of love and he extended grace. Law can be harsh, but grace can also be wrong if that's all we have. Because grace then would say, live however you want. Just sin. Enjoy life. No, just like Christ, we must be a balance between grace and truth. Parents need that balance. Christians, we need that balance. But look at verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus revealed God to us. Not that God was something new. He always existed. But when Jesus came, it revealed something new about God to us. We saw a side of God that we hadn't seen before. The Jews saw a side of God they didn't really understand. That it wasn't just about law. It was also about grace. 
That's what happened when the eternal and the physical came together in Jesus Christ. So I want to go back then to the initial thought. Remember, there's a very real tension in our lives between the physical and the eternal. But John makes this very clear in verse 15 when he's talking about John the Baptist. Look what he says. John bare witness of him and cried saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. You know what John the Baptist was saying? Saying, all I am is physical. I was created. My existence came at a point in time when I was conceived in my mother's womb. But there's one that's superior to me. There's one that's preferred before me. There's one that's greater than me. He's better than me in every way. And that is Jesus Christ. Why is he better? Why is he greater? Why is he superior? Because he is eternal and I am only physical. Now, I know that John, we all, as once we're created, we, are, we become eternal and that we will live somewhere forever. But we haven't always existed. There's a point in time that we exist. Well, Jesus Christ blows that up because he's always existed. And, that, and it just points to the fact that the eternal is superior to the physical. Just, just think about the things we've talked about in this passage to this point in this series. How the physical realm is inferior. Well, how? Well, it came into existence after the eternal. So the, the, it must be inferior to the, eternal, to the eternal. It came into existence because of the eternal. The eternal created the physical. It's full of darkness, it says in verse 5. That's the physical realm. It doesn't recognize who the word is. They rejected the word in verse 10 and 11. No, the, and the default position for the physical realm is death. That's what John is saying about the physical. If all you do is focus on the physical, then you are leaning on something that is inferior to the eternal and it will have only darkness involved and it will lead you to death. But the, the eternal though, now don't lose me, this, we're coming to a point. The eternal though is superior because it's the realm where God exists. It's the realm where Jesus came from. It has no beginning, it has no end. It's the source of creation. It's the source of eternal life. It's the source of spiritual light. It's the source of becoming a child of God. If you want to become a child of God, if you want to live forever with God in eternity, then stop focusing on the physical and focus on the eternal. That's what he's saying. The eternal is superior in every way. If you carry each to their end, the physical leads to death. The eternal leads to life, eternal life. The eternal is superior. But a, mind, a MySpace mentality exists in all of us. And that we're so convinced that what's before us is the most important. And we prioritize the physical things. We develop our skills to make money. That's our purpose. We develop our minds to be educated and get the best job and have the most influence. That's our purpose. Or we work on our bodies to look a certain way or achieve some athletic prowess. That's our purpose. We live for the financial uh, bottom line to have the best homes and the nicest cars and go on the best vacations. We prioritize the physical, but it's also about dependence. Sometimes we prioritize it, but we also really depend on the physical. Many people live to please their bodies. They are addicted to things that their flesh continually, continuously asks for and it controls them. Whether it be alcohol or drugs, 
some addiction to some sexual sin or pornography. Listen, it could even be something simple, as simple as anger, that it basically is in charge of your life. Your flesh is in control. You live to please your body. You live for the physical. And sometimes, whether you want it or not, it's your master. You feel as though you have no choice. Our lives can become defined by what our flesh desires. We're dependent on things, whether it be money or power or appearance or success or addiction, whatever it is. But I want to remind you this morning which one is superior. If you prioritize the physical, where does that leave you? Well, according to this passage, it leads to death. See, you can live to make money, but one day you'll die and that money will no longer make a difference for you. And you can live, give your life to a career, but one day you'll no longer be able to work. And all that success, what does it mean for you? You can live your life to please your body or develop develop your mind or gain possessions. But you don't get to take any of that with you when you die and step into eternity. So here's the truth that we live in the physical, but we'll live forever in the eternal. We live in the physical, but we'll live forever in the eternal. So so prioritize the eternal. Start with eternal life. I mean, without eternal life, friend, there's no purpose for your life at all. Jesus came offering eternal life so that our lives wouldn't only be defined by the physical things because he knows if all we do is live for the physical, we die and there's nothing left. We spend eternity separated from him. And John's goal, listen, his goal was that we might see Jesus, get a glimpse of God's glory and recognize that the life he came offering is superior to the life that we're living. And if all we ever do is focus on the physical, we miss the eternal. Jesus Christ came to die on a cross for our sins so we could have eternal life. God left the eternal realm and came into the bubble of the physical so we could live forever in the eternal. Listen, you have that choice to make today. Would you make that choice? Only the eternal realm is worth living for, Christian. You can invest in MySpace or, and pour your money down the drain or you can invest in something that will exist forever. And I'm not talking about Facebook, by the way. No, I, I think most of us understand the truth. And honestly, I could stop right here and, and you might say amen. No, I could stop right here and, and we could have enough to go on. I think there's enough to make a decision for Christ this morning. Investing internal things is the only way to live a life that counts. And when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat, your physical accomplishments will not matter. Don't live a wasted life. Give to missions and invest in people and develop your walk with God and tell people about Jesus Christ. Learn God's word. Walk with God. If you're not saved, place your trust in Jesus Christ. I think it's obvious to all of us, this principle. But I think that's the surface level principle here. See, there's a nuance of this principle that I don't want you to miss, and that's this. Remember, a big part, okay, so we're making a transition. Okay, time to go deeper. So remember that a big part of Christ's coming was to present the balance between grace and truth. This principle is always true, okay? The eternal is always superior to the physical. It always is. I mean, it comes, but it comes with a balance, See, some people might hear this, and I'm going to try to explain this, but don't miss it. Some people would interpret the superiority of the eternal to mean don't invest in anything physical. 
The physical doesn't matter at all. Remove yourself completely from physical things and focus only on the eternal things. And if we take that mindset and then it, to its end, it means that we have no, in, no involvement at all in physical things. And it means I mean, many groups then have taken this principle to the end and they remove themselves from society and they isolate themselves from the world. And, and some Christians avoid the physical to the point of self-loathing. And it's called asceticism, which is avoiding all forms of indulgence in order to express religious commitment. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to deny yourself. I want you to get the balance this morning. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go out and live your life and do whatever you want. No, we should deny ourselves. But if we take a principle of eternal support, superiority to its end, we might become imbalanced. No physical pleasure. No possessions, no money, no enjoyment. Sounds like my childhood, okay? <laughs> my parents. No, that's, that was my perception. No good tasting food. All right, preacher, like you went too far right there. No indulging in anything that appeals to the flesh. No comforts, no extras, no cheat days, nothing. Like, I know I'm being sarcastic, but I hope you understand. Is that really what the Holy Spirit is saying through John? Is that the spirit of what John is trying to get at this morning? No, I, I believe that he is saying that this, the eternal is superior, is superior um, but, but is he saying that only the eternal matters, so pay no attention to the physical. Well, I don't think so. See, while we all can agree that the eternal is superior to the physical, I would submit to you that there's an imbalance if we're not careful. Here's why. Listen, okay? Jesus Christ, while he came promoting the superiority of the eternal, he literally used physical means to make it happen. He came in a physical body. He could, he could be seen and touched. He lived in literal flesh. When he died, he proved he had a literal body because he died. How can you die without a body? See, Jesus did not ignore the physical. That's not the principle. No, instead, he used what he had physically. He used his physical resources to shine a spotlight on the superiority of the eternal. He used his body to perform miracles. He used his mouth to teach important doctrines. He used his hands to convey human touch. He used his body to take the sins of the world on himself. And he resurrected his literal body after three days to prove that he was greater than death. The point is this. Rather than avoid anything physical at all costs, assume God wants you to use the physical things you have to shine a spotlight on the superiority of the eternal. Money. Don't live for money. Use money to give to God's work and make a difference in God's kingdom. You knew I'm a Baptist preacher. You knew I was going to talk about money today. No, but the point is not that it's wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to live for money. It's wrong to use money for yourself 
and your pleasures and your indulgences rather than doing it for the, to, for the advancement of God's kingdom. Uh, career. Don't, climb the, the, don't live to climb the corporate ladder. Use your position to influence others for Christ. See, it's not wrong to have a good job. We have men and women in here that have good jobs. But it is wrong to use your job, your career for power and control and finances rather than making a difference in the people around you. God didn't give you that good job to make money. He gave you that good job to make a difference. Your body. It's not wrong to have a body. In fact, it'd be weird if we didn't. But it is wrong to live for your body rather than allowing God to use your body to serve him. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Our bodies are not ours for ourselves to use and enjoy and have pleasure in. It's not wrong to have pleasure. It's not wrong to enjoy things. It is wrong to live for the body God gave us rather than using it to serve him. Your intelligence. I'm thankful for some very smart people in this room. It's a gift. Rather than use it to get another degree for your pride's sake, use your mind to learn about Jesus Christ. Use your mind to teach a Sunday school class. Use your mind to give sound reasons to people who are struggling or doubting with the existence of God. God never told us not to have physical things. He told us to use the physical to point to the eternal. Because that's what Jesus did. You have a body, not just for appearance and thank the Lord for some of us. No, you have a body to serve God with. We live in a culture where the body is all about appearance. And it's not about how can I use this body to serve God and advance his kingdom. You have a brain, not just for education, but to learn about God. You have resources, not just to enjoy for yourself, but to use to promote, to promote an eternal kingdom. Our problem is not that we have physical things, but that we live as though they, they matter more than the eternal God gave you a mouth to tell people about Jesus. He gave you a mouth to praise him. He gave you a body to serve him. He gave you a body to make a difference and be a blessing in people's lives. He gave you resources to give. He gave you resources to help somebody in need. And if you live for the physical things, you'll only enjoy them in this life. But if you use the physical to point to the eternal, you will enjoy that for eternity. The eternal is superior. We all know that. But there's another way that this applies today, and that is this also means that there's more to life than the physical. And sometimes we get so discouraged by the physical things. You know, things in life aren't going well. We're we're going through a trial and we don't see a way out of it. Boy, that's the physical life. We have some health need that we don't have an answer for. The doctors don't have an answer for the physical things. 
Uh, we're going through a physical hardship. We're going through a trial. We're going through, we have no money to pay our bills. I mean, the life is just falling apart. No, but listen, if this truth matters, it matters in two ways. It matters in how we invest. And that one is superior to the other, so invest in that which matters most. But it also matters when, so we, it matters in things that we invest when life is good. But it also it matters in our thinking when life is bad. Because if the eternal is superior, then that means I need to give what I can to it when life is good. But if the eternal is superior, that means that I can't let the physical discourage me when life is bad. Because a lot of us will say, oh yeah, when life is good, I invest, I'm doing things for God, I'm making a difference. But when life is bad, woe is me. I have this trial, I'm having this hardship, I'm having this ordeal in my life. And when things are good, we have no problem remembering, oh yeah, the eternal is superior. But when things are bad, it's like the eternal has disappeared and all we see is the physical. We forget that even when life is bad, God still sits on an eternal throne. He still rules and reigns in this universe. And yes, I know your health may be bad. And yes, I know your finances may be in shambles. And yes, I know that relationship may be falling apart. And I know things at work aren't good. And I know your car broke down again. And I know this and I know that. But if all we ever do is focus on the physical, we lose sight of the fact that the eternal is still superior. And that means that whatever I face in this life, God has an answer for it. He still sits on his throne. He still knows what's going on. He knew the trial I'd be in. He knew the hardship I'd be facing. And he's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands because the eternal is superior. And if he created this earth, he has the answers to your every problem. The eternal is superior when life is good, but the eternal is also superior when life is bad. So stop focusing on that health problem because the eternal is superior. Stop focusing on that problem you can't control and fretting on that problem you can't control. Focus on the fact that there's a holy God in heaven who still sits on an eternal throne. And you can leave it in his hands and someday you could perhaps use your current trial to shine a light on eternity. And you could say, I I trusted God it was hard. I trusted God and look at what he taught me. My faith, because I believe to see. My faith has been strengthened because I prioritized the eternal instead of the physical. Listen, you, can't, you don't always just get to shine a light on the eternal when things are good and you can invest and prioritize. No, you can shine a light on the eternal when things are bad. And people can look at you and say, how are you doing this? And they say, well, because I have faith and I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord. So which realm are you living for? You can tell by how you spend your days. You can tell by the things you think about most of the time. You can tell by the things you're worried about right now. My challenge to you today is stop focusing on what you have or you don't have down here. Because whatever you have or don't have, you can use it to shine a light on the eternal. Your walk with God... God's church family, lost souls, missions, God's word, serving, giving, faith when it's hard, it's possible. But it depends on what you're living for. Christian, have you lost sight of what matters the most? For all of us, 
have you only ever lived for the physical? Like for the lost here today, when you die, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And if all you ever focus on is the physical, you're going to miss the eternal. But Jesus Christ came into the physical realm, took on a body, died on a cross, literally in a body for our sins, took our sins upon himself. That body was buried, but that body was raised. That body then ascended into heaven where he lives forever, proving that the eternal is superior to the physical. And if you want to die today and go to heaven and want to know that for sure, then you can place your faith in the eternal Savior. Listen, both realms matter, but one matters more. It's time for us to have, stop having a MySpace mentality. No, live for that which matters in eternity. Will you do that this morning? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We have what we call an invitation where you have an opportunity to respond to the word preached and make a decision for Christ. I would encourage you, if you've come in here this morning and you don't know that you're saved, would you place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? We have counselors that could show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you're dying. If you die, you're going to go to heaven. To the Christians here this morning, have you gotten wrapped up in the physical to the point where you're missing the eternal? You're so preoccupied with work and money and things and possessions and busy life that you have stopped investing in eternal things. Only one matters in the end. Or Christian, have you gotten wrapped up in a hardship? The physical hardship has caused you to lose sight of the sovereignty of God, that he still sits on a throne in eternity, and you've been so focused on the trouble that you've lost sight of what really matters the most, and that is a God in heaven. I think it's time for all of us to maybe reevaluate our priorities this morning. If you need to place your faith in Christ, please step forward. We'd love to show you from God's word. Christian, if you need to do business with God about this area of prioritizing the eternal, would you do that this morning? Father, thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help us to be submissive to it. And uh, give courage to those who are debating whether or not to decide to make a decision this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.